Welcome to the Queer Arabs podcast. This is Alia. And Ellie. And we are the Queer Arabs. I'm Saudi American and queer. I'm Pan Trans Lebanese, and we're recording here in Houston and DC and. And in Japan with Intisar Tufik. Hi. Thank you so much for joining Hello. us. Hello. Thank you for having me, ladies. I'm Intisar Tufi. I'm a gay Arab writer slash personality slash drummer slash fiend slash all the good things of the world that you're unaware of basically i i love everything being, i love being a fiend and i respect others who are fiends oh yes my dear <laughs> everything we fear and want to be <laughs> pretty much so you live in japan but you are watching what's happening in Lebanon with the Lebanese revolution. You're doing research. And can you talk about the context in which you're doing the research? Because if you don't mind, I've read some of your other writings and they are spicy, but they are not exactly... Be cautious. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I was going to say political, but everything is political. Yeah, I I completely see what what you mean. It's not explicitly political yet, right? It's okay, more like, explicitly political is the correct term. Yeah. So my research focuses on uh, Chinese Middle Eastern relations, and it focuses on uh, how China will impact Lebanon in the Belt and Road uh, era. As you know, the Belt and Road is China's like uh, ginormous plan to link Africa, Europe, and Asia through uh, a land rail and also an ocean trading route which will really uh, smooth over trade between uh, China and across borders leading to Europe. And of course, the Middle East being at the center of all this is very important to China. And And so I focus on how China will want to kind of uh, shape the Middle East so that, you know, it's in the optimal condition for its uh, ambitions. So for those of you who don't know, uh, China invests massive amounts of money in infrastructure in Africa, but they don't do it out of benevolence, of course. of course. They do it for the inter- their own interests, and this includes raw material extraction, cheap labor, manufacturing, and of course, you know, future markets. And it puts and not the- only that, also votes at the UN against Taiwan. Oh, yes, that completely because, slipped my mind. Yeah, because Taiwan sees itself as a separate entity from China, as a completely separate country. And so uh, you see that these countries receiving Chinese uh, foreign direct investment have kind of rescinded their diplomatic ties with Taiwan as a state and now only see China um, because China refuses to have links with countries that recognize both it and Taiwan. So, for example, the Solomon Islands recently uh, decided to just recognize mainland China and seized all diplomatic links to Taiwan. So that's also part of the reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like a bad divorce, you know. It's like mm-hmm. I don't want you, China. Yeah. China's like no, come on, come on. <laughs> and now we're in the splitting up of the friends phase of the breakup. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's like come on, distance, please, distance. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like China can't take a, China can't take a no, you know. China can't take but, a no yeah, but basically they're doing what the United States has been doing for the last hundred years, so. Exactly. This is my point. People are kind of very distasteful about what China is doing, but, you know, this is the European playbook, basically. It's just, I think, I think when it's a non-Western, non-white power enacting acts of cruelty, 
people have more of an issue with it, whereas like Bush is roaming free and Obama's roaming free after their war crimes and it's taken as business as usual. You know, this is the cost of civilization is, you know, uh, if you want to make an omelet, you got to break a few eggs. But when Chinese break a few eggs, everyone's like up in arms. Not to say that China's right in doing what it's doing. I, I think it's wrong for everyone to be a purely colonialist, um, but uh, there are no good empires. Exactly, and now it's China's uh, China's empire is exactly what I'm studying is China's imperium um, in international relations terms, uh, which is my field of study. So, but being outside Lebanon, like like myself, I have found it pretty hard to keep up sometimes with everything that's going on in Lebanon. I I often hesitate to talk about anything in Lebanon because I feel like I don't have the appropriate amount of knowledge to make any sort of meaningful statement. How do you keep up? Oh, well, um, I have many friends in Lebanon, um, so they, you know, tell me what they're doing. So I have like a micro perspective through them and a macro perspective through news. Uh, I follow Al Jadid, which is a great, great uh, news source, Mm -hmm. possibly the best in the country. And... um, through my friends and also through family members who live there through in different like social strata, you know. So I, I know people who are upper middle class, people who are middle class, people who are lower middle class. So they give me, you know, they help me make a coherent picture of what the hell is going on there, uh, which is not classy. And um, so that's how I'm able to uh, kind of um, stay afloat of what's happening or abreast, if you will. Yeah. So, um, what is happening? I mean, I'm especially interested in the the class differences of the perception of the revolution. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I don't think. Yeah. So, that's a very interesting uh, viewpoint to look at it from. Um, class difference is usually the yeah. Um, how do I put this? So, as you know, in Lebanon, Lebanon is a very unique country in that there's like 18 sects in a very small piece of land. And they all want the piece of the political pie. But the revolution came about to say, no, you're not going to get quotas, a quota system for these sects. They're going to get it by merit or by votes or whatever. That's what the protesters wanted. And so the class view, I don't think, usually it's like, you know, typical Marxism, the elites want, you know, to stay in power versus the proletariats and so on and so forth. But in Lebanon, it's unique because there's also sect and class. So you have people who are lower middle class, but very sectarian, who really want their elites to stay in power, even though they're objectively corrupt. And yet you have people who are upper uh, middle class or even wealthy who are really, you know, who despise the political class because they have, you know, uh, a shred of decency in them. Class, I don't think, is the best lens with which to view uh, what's happening because it will surpass expectations. Yeah, Lebanon is always, like, at least with my... Uh, family has always had sort of like a romantic heart to it so they always look at it nostalgically and hope for the best not in terms of like purely economic or political or social advancement it's just they want what's best for the country i can see that happening you know it's just a lot of romanticization and idealism playing into everyone's perspective because it is oh yeah yeah like me you know i cry when i listen to some feruz songs you know i really very few things make me cry, but when I listen to her songs, you know, it's it's just, for me, she's the voice of the great Lebanon, you know, before the ugliness happened. Mm, and even beautiful. through the ugliness, she maintained, 
yeah, she maintained uh, this voice of what Lebanon could be. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think everybody romanticizes about it. And this is the backbone of the remittances flow, because if people found absolutely no hope in the country, they would not send remittances to the country, which is really what keeps it afloat. Remittances are a huge part of Lebanon's GDP. Like, let's not kid ourselves. Lebanon is not Dubai. It's not like not Shanghai. It's not a producer of anything people need. Sure. So remittances are what keeps the country alive. And um, and uh, romantic and yeah, and nostalgia and romanticization is a huge part of why this occurs. I I can't think of another country kept afloat by nostalgia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well. Maybe, yeah. Maybe there is one, but we're not not aware of it. Like Venezuela, maybe. Venezuela before the uh, crisis. Before, yeah. yeah, but they've also got they've got vast natural resources. Yes, yes, it was such a great thing, Venezuela. It was like where it was the place to be at one point in time. I have family who went there, and I have family members who speak fluent Spanish because they lived in Venezuela for a long time. Uh, establishing businesses and living there decently, yeah. you know, and uh, things uh, took a turn for the worst. Right. Yeah, that's actually a little surprising. My family also like. Members of my family also went to Venezuela, and <laughs> yeah, it's one of those destinations. Yes. But what is what is your take on it? I mean, we all know it started with you know an increase in taxes on certain things, including of all things WhatsApp. Uh, right. I think yeah. I blame. So this is going to sound very very hipster, but I blame toxic masculinity for this because it's like you have eighteen boys. Okay, and there is one cow in the room, and each boy wants a piece of that cow somehow, like a horn or fur or meat or milk. And so each boy is like kind of trying to show off in front of the other boys how much they can take from the cow without killing the cow. Even though the cow is screaming in pain, the boys have to exhibit a kind of uh, insulation from, uh, you know, conscience, basically, an insulation from feeling guilt to kind of show manliness, because in some uh, stupid parts of the world, manliness ha- does not leave room for kindness. They're seen as uh, antithetical. So what's happened in Lebanon is you have these 18 sects kind of basically beating this cow to death and laughing as they exhibit how merciless they are. And finally, you know, uh, everyone's like taking a piece from here, piece from there, piece from here, piece from there. And, uh, you know, the cow's like... Um, in really bad shape and then finally this guy he wants to impose a six dollar whatsapp tax per month and that was when the cow was like no (laughs) enough you know and it was matador time you know can we just comment on the absurdity of that it's like everyone uses whatsapp like my mom yes 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 people are yeah yeah i mean you think of elites as 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 more intelligent or more competent they're not they really are not they're just more competent in some things that you learn in university but when it comes to like a political savviness you can't you can't really learn that at school you have to really practice it and you have to practice it you have to live it as an average citizen and a lot of these people in lebanon's political class inherited wealth from a, a father or a relative and therefore inherited their political capital as well. They just thought, okay, I have enough to get in here, so I might as well get in here. I'll just take a little bit, like everybody takes a little bit, you know what I mean? But turns I mean, out... It, 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 and it starts to, for them, it starts to feel like it's not stealing, it's just, you know, perks of the job. Well, well, yeah. even if... It, I mean... The, Shitty justification. Like, yeah, I mean, uh, people like you and me 
okay? I think we have different values than they do. We value kindness, we value sharing, we value benevolence for them. It's all, it, all, it all has to be strategic and leading up to a personal gain. So they don't, I don't think they teach their kids the value of kindness. I don't think they teach their kids the value of decency because they know that those things are kind of weak um, in terms of uh, getting political or getting um, money in the way they do. Like a, a kind politician will not be rich, basically, you know. Um, yeah, that's... But, when it comes yeah. to gay people, I think uh, this is where this is why why the revolution is interesting is because I think a liberal revolution, uh, par excellence, if you will. Mm. And I've had Ex- lots of gay. F- yeah. Uh, explain that, please. Yes. So, um, the first week of the revolution, my best friend who lives in Lebanon, we're gonna call him Elisa because that's his nickname, mm-hmm. Elisa. Elisa is very, very, like, skeptical about everything. Elisa does not believe in magic. Um, he does not think anything will ever change in the country. When I tell him, like, you know, um, you know, class is a social construct. It's not classy to order something because it's expensive. It's a social construct to make you pay money. And he's like, and you're supposed to be the one doing a PhD. You're so stupid. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> like we both think the other is an idiot somehow. And yet when the revolution started, he was there and he was wearing like a Lebanon flag bandana and he was there with his girlfriends, you know. And I was calling I was so happy he was there because I'm like, okay, if this skeptical guy who's never even been to a protest in his life is on the ground, that means everybody will be on the ground. And indeed, like 1.5 million people were there. So and he'd and I'd call him and he'd, he'd send me voice. He'd say, "This is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen." They're selling coffee. They're selling hummus. We're all uh, singing. We're all angry at the same things, and we're different sects. So we thought that, like for example, the Shia were more most viciously clinging to their warlord, or the Sunnis were more viciously clinging to Hariri, the Druze to Jumblat. But turns out we all like when we see how much the other is willing to let go of their warlord we are willing to do the same and join hands this is what's happened this is what's happened essentially like we let go of the warlords in a universal manner and just embraced each other and this will have political reverberations for sure but also social ones and also on on a lighter note uh, (laughs) my friend I'd call my friend and I said, like, tell me what's happening. And he wouldn't be picking up because he doesn't have much, much Wi-Fi. And then when he gets Wi-Fi, he'd be like, uh, like he'd be saying in Arabic, but he was saying essentially is, oh, I can't talk now. Protest time, protest time. Oh, <laughs> the men are taking off their tops. Oh, the smell of sweat. Oh, my goodness. I am such a revolutionary. <laughs> I love being a protester. <laughs> you know? And, uh, and then, she'd be, then he'd be telling me about, how he like confronts the police because when the police are there uh, he just like pushes himself on the police and pretends like someone's pushing him because the police are seen as hot you know oh, wow. <laughs> oh my god so, it's just it's just really really beautiful it was like the first couple of weeks were just lovely and he was going every single day yeah. and uh, and he we you know it was a there was lots of out and proud gay people there you know be being visible like FIFO, if you know FIFO. Um, nope, you named me. 
Fee, uh, so, so Makeup by FIFO is a Facebook page featuring this makeup artist called FIFO. And uh, he's been around for like years. And he does these like Arabic videos uh, where he where he like gives like a Arabic proverb and then ends it with a hashtag. Like, um, and, he's, and he does the proverbs in all the Arabic dialects, which is beautiful. Like Ooh. from Morocco to Oman to Iraq. And he's so, so, so gay. You can see you can see his page. He's I think he's a wonderful yeah. person. Makeup by people. No, it sounds yes, really familiar. Yes, yes. Like F I F O. I feel like I've seen that. Yeah. Yes, yes. You must have. hashtag uh, hashtag uh, something. You know what I mean? So he was there at the protest, and um, I was like, oh, my God, they're going to beat him up. Oh, my God, because it's FIFO. Like, he, if you see the comment section in FIFO, it started with it started with, like, a lot of hate comments. Mm-hmm. But now he gets a lot of, like, love comments. People really like him, and he's part of their day because he uploads almost on a daily basis. And these women from Iraq and from Jordan, they just are delighted when they, when they see FIFO. He says that he, you know, uh, makes their day lighter. You know, he makes their day happier. Yeah. And so he was at the protests and he was like wearing a mask because of the because of the tear gas they were throwing. And he was like, I'm honored to be here and hashtag revolution, you know. And people in the background were seeing him and they were like, FIFO, FIFO. These straight rugged men were like oh. chanting FIFO. Yes, yes, yes. It was amazing. Like I was so happily surprised by how he was embraced by these hardcore revolutionaries. Um, and they carried him on their backs, and they were all chanting "Fifo, Fifo." You know wow. what I mean? So, yes, I mean um, another part of of why the the political establishment sucks is it's all made up of these old men who are homophobic, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Also, they rely on a form of masculinity that's not permissive of flamboyance because it's seen as weak in an in an environment that requires men to be able to produce violence basically you know because these are warlords they want men who are out to fight and gay people are seen as not strong you know even though uh, you know i know people in hezbollah actually who happen to be gay uh-huh. <laughs> uh, being gay and being strong are not mutually exclusive things a gun oh, is yeah. a gun you know like i have to, i don't have to be like jacked to to fight anyone all, all i need is a gun and like and you know a good um a good by pair of binoculars, and even if I'm jacked, you know who? I mean, who isn't gay and jacked these days? <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that's a, that's a exactly. <laughs> but that's exactly. a whole separate toxic masculinity discussion yeah. yes. in itself. That's, that's a good point. Yes. but um, yeah. but it's always that just makes me really happy to hear that sort of thing happens. Like I'm. Me too. Like, I just worry about what happens when sort of the revolutionary spirit runs out and everyone starts circling the wagons as it were to consolidate power afterwards yeah i mean that's a legitimate concern and indeed the numbers of protesters have has been dwindling but not because the revolutionary spirit has 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 declined no people are still massively you know on a massive scale they're still frustrated and they still reject the entire political class mm-hmm. because we've seen we've seen it like we've seen each other let go so there's no reason to go on and we've seen their failures over and over again so we understand that after october 17th things will be different what's making people go out and protest less is the fact that they have to go to work like they're that poor you know they're not just complaining yeah they are that poor and they need to get to work and they need to make money for their families there was somebody who killed himself because he couldn't give his daughter the equivalent of a dollar to go to buy a school lunch like oh, this actually fuck. happened and it shocked like oh my goodness i had no idea we had such poverty in, in lebanon you know 
Um, oh shit! Oh uh, god! Um, I yeah, like I've I've terrible. read I've read several posts about people who have had to give up their apartments, move in with like go back home, live with their parents because like they just were not able to financially keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, I, like, I, I, I'm yeah. sending money to my family. And they were upper middle class, but now um, they're not as upper anymore. <laughs> so um, I'm sending them lagasts, and so you know, it's just you know, it's it's a it's a multi layered phenomenon like everything is. But in terms yeah. of uh, gay rights and in terms of queer visibility, I think it's been a good thing. But the backlash of that, of course, is that people who are anti-revolution will use gay visibility to kind of strip the revolution of any merit, you know? I know someone who would share on Facebook, like, pictures of, like, uh, not gay people, but people who look flamboyant, who could be gay or queer or whatever. Oh, sure. And he's like, oh, this is the sodomite revolution, <laughs> you know? So oh, he's just using, yeah, he's just using gay visibility as a reason to kind of delegitimize people's like um frustration you know which is really pathetic it's really clutching at straws at this point but you know um thankfully there's no there hasn't been any violence explicitly targeting gay people more than usual (laughs) um uh, but like uh, that's like one tiny tiny backlash but i've seen it have no consequence really because it's not only queer people who are being visible. There's also women. Women have been at the forefront of this, oh which my is God, yeah. wonderful. Yes, like the women who, who, yes, who kicked that armed guy in the balls. Yes. Oh, yes. God, I, love I, I love it. I love that like, picture. What an iconic oh, moment. It's so iconic. Yes. Yes. It oh. is such an iconic moment, yeah. you know. Women being, yeah, yeah, I mean... Uh, some people, some intelligent people you meet think it's great, but then you, then you, you know, look at people like I don't know, Meichreis, um, for example, who you don't know, but she's like, she's like a, a very corrupt a woman working for Jibran Basile, and she's like, oh, Jibran Basile, you know, the revolution happened so that uh, Israel can sneak in the deal of the century because you weakened the Lebanese government, and I'm like, you are so pathetic, oh like you are so. Pathetic. Like as if Israel's great like Yes, yes, you know. So okay, there there are of course I mean women are equal to men in every way, so they're equally susceptible to being corrupt and they're equally able of producing iconic moments, you know. So um yeah. so uh but you know, on the on the whole, women have been uh a, a, I mean I think, you know, women have been more important than men in this revolution because you expect men to protest. It's just all over the place. But when women do it as well, especially in an Arab country, it's kind of arresting. You know, like, oh, wow. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 Plus and, the Western uh, yeah. media just loves that shit. So. Yeah, well, not enough because there's not, not enough, enough coverage. Well, no, there's not, not enough, enough coverage Western at all. Coverage. At all, at all. And um, I think, you know, it's because Lebanon is a relatively small country. We're not that significant to the West uh, as much as Chile or the coronavirus now or whatever. Um, yeah. But for so, yeah, I mean. Well, I mean, the virus thing, the coronavirus, like, that's really just, that's just like for mass hysteria. And it's, it's being, I, I feel like it's being portrayed 
to create mass hysteria and alarmist reactions, but possibly. And remember that, like, it's not in the interests of the West to have a strong China. So this yeah. is like impacting Chinese economy first of all, not to downplay its severity because there have been casualties. But from what I've read, just to uh, just to reassure your listeners. Uh, it only affects the elderly, uh, and it has a very small, uh, like, rate of fatalities. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's scary about it is that you don't know if you have it or not. Like, that's the thing, but it's not going to kill you um, unless you, like, hurt. unless you already have, like, an immune immune deficiency or you are elderly. Right. So, like, it sounds like... That's it, a whole separate it, thing. It sounds, it sounds absolutely, like, dangerous and... You know, it should be taken seriously, but it's also being used, yeah, to just create mass hysteria in the West and also kind of perpetuate racist, like racist uh, stereotypes and things like that, um, based mm. targeting East Asian populations Asian. specifically. Yeah. But yeah. anyways, uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's just interesting how, like, what the Western media will focus on. It's like, hey, maybe you should focus on the flu. Um, and how like anti-vaxxers are pretty uh, um, harmful, but anyway. Oh yeah, my goodness! Now the coronavirus vaccine, well, they just not <laughs> yeah. take it. Yeah. Right. Um, um, but yeah. back to Lebanon. Yeah. Um, yeah. Back to that. So, where do you see things going from here in 2020? I mean, for the revolution specifically, yeah. or for queer people? Oh, queer people and the revolution. Let's go with the revolution first. I yeah, know. yeah, uh, because I'll trickle down to queer people. Um, so there's a very good podcast, um, as you know, as good as yours, but it focuses on Lebanese <laughs> politics. It's called the Lebanese Politics Podcast. Um, it's like, it has very small viewership, but like it discusses, uh, you know, uh, in detail what's going on. What I think will happen, I don't have an optimistic view because I've seen like, if you're a politician and you're still insisting on being where you are now, there's no reasoning with you. I mean, you've seen what you've led the country to, and yet you insist on staying in power. Um, you know, the problem is, I theorize that these rich politicians, I think they just need to use 10% of their wealth to, like, drive out people to defend them. We've seen this with Hanukkah Amal, for example, and Hezbollah, who go around and like yell Shia, Shia, Shia at people who are protesting for their basic needs. It's clear that there is some kind of agenda. It's not just about individual decency. It's clear that there's some, you know, agenda. And I argue there's also some pathology because if you are really old and really wealthy and insist on staying in power instead of like retiring and having like, you know, a, a decent last few years of your life, then there's something mentally wrong with you. You know, like if I had half a million, if I had half a billion dollars and was 70, I'd be damned if I work another day in my life. No, I'd yeah. be damned if I ever arm. You know what I mean? What so there's there's it? something yeah. I pity them. I pity them. I'm like, why can't you be regular grandpas and just go fishing? You know, just yeah. go enjoy your life. Exactly. You know, I, but I think at that breather. point, I think at that point they've actually bought their own hype. You know, yeah, I'm, they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm, exactly. they're, they're doing I mean, it for the country, even though it's obviously enriching them because they see that it's like for any number of reasons, like I am the country, you know, may, may I mean, I'd like to, I, I hope they're that I mean, that's that's also a level of patriotism that I don't think they have. I just think they're like, OK, I'm here. What are you going to do about it? 
or like you know what I mean? Because it's so easy to kill people these days. It's re- literally like dusting a, dusting off a book. Like um, yeah. you just have to hire mercenaries and just they'll go shoot people, and people will stay home. And that's what frustrates me about the revolution is that it's been unreasonably peaceful. I say this and trying to take full responsibility for it myself. Not you know. Not, not, not you. It's been unreasonably uh, peaceful. You, you. I've seen people like going to banks and singing songs. You know, you are bad people. Like if a thief comes into my house and I sing him a song, mm-hmm. that's the stupidest thing I could do because I'm assuming that the thief has humanity. Whereas if he had humanity, he would not come and rob me in the first place. So yeah. singing songs does not solve anything. And Marie Antoinette was beheaded, and that's all I can. I'm gonna say on the matter. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of romanticization about the peaceful revolution and peaceful protest. Yes. I don't, yes. I, to, to the detriment of actual political change. Effective. Yes, exactly. And I like to comment on that because that's a very important point. People are stubbornly, yes, they're they are being stubbornly noble about this. I've seen people being like, oh, no, we refuse to have leaders for this revolution. It's a revolution of the people. We refuse to, you know, I'm like, and, and people are like, being very very careful about holding up uh, high standards of integrity i'm like you're dealing with like the devil literally so why are you being so um adamant on like on appealing to the like strictest code of integrity you know like no give us give us a few leaders you know what i mean we need leaders who are the who are who are the political class supposed to talk to if there's no leadership and the political political class has abused this. They've said that, okay, you've given us nobody to talk to mm-hmm. and you've given us no unified list of demands because there has been no unified list of demands. And so the new minute, the new cabinet is like similar to the old one. And it's just, you know, people are stubborn on all sides. Like I've spoken to a few people. I'm like, why don't we have representatives for the revolution? Like, why is that so bad? Even people who prominently we're almost in the, the parliament, like Jumana Haddad, who I love. I love Jumana Haddad. She's very pro-gay, pro-woman. Uh, she's active on the ground. She's a writer. You know, she's one of those forces of nature. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But she refuses to, to, like, be a leader of the revolution. And I'm like, you know, this, this, this adherence to integrity is just tone deaf because at this point, I'll take anyone instead of the political class right now. So just don't be so, like, uh, Puritan, you know? It's like the same thing with, uh, I, I don't know where you guys stand on this, but when I hear, for example, people be against Bernie Sanders because he may have said something about Elizabeth Warren, okay, because of that about Elizabeth Warren, I will never vote for him again, you know? It's like people want a, like, completely clean slate, but those do not exist. We are human beings, and we are entitled to make mistakes, and not only that, when you're yeah, dealing with yeah. somebody yeah. that has no merits whatsoever... Um, uh, I'd, I'd excuse a few flaws, like, you know what I mean? I'm, you know, I'm fine. No, I'm with yeah, you. I'm... I think people, people need to pick their battles. I, I, I agree. It, it, it exactly. Gets you, it really gets you nowhere. You can look <sighs> at the egregious, the egregious points, like, you cannot ignore. And yes, you can yes. criticize, yeah, you can criitize lesser things, too, but, like, you gotta zoom you out. You can't refuse to change, just... Sometimes. Yeah. Okay. You cannot refuse. You cannot refuse to participate or change just because you feel it wouldn't be good enough. There needs to be some change. It's a real position of privilege when you say, "No, I'm not going to participate or vote for this person because they're not good enough compared to my personal standards," even though they would bring a massive amount of personal change. 
Like exactly. Yes, and I see this a lot in American politics. Like, oh my God, do you not get me started? Oh my goodness, there's people on the left who who are like, oh, I'm not, I'm not even gonna participate in the voting process because it's all you know messed up structurally. Yeah. Since when does not voting ever change anything? How, how You're giving that? more power yeah. to people to hate. How is that the right choice? <sighs> Ridiculous. Like, yeah, Ridic- like I, when I, have I you heard a right winger refusing to vote? They play to win. They play to win. They excuse the flaws of their representatives more than the left excuses the flaws of their representatives. Yeah, it's so you know? disappointing. I also, I, and I kind of feel like this attitude also, I feel like this attitude promotes the lack of leadership. Like, everyone is afraid to step up because they feel yes. like their lives will be put on a pedestal or exposed, you know? Yes, like, yes. like, if I personally ran for office, I'd be like, well, they're going to pull up the fact that I'm trans and they're going to pull up the fact that I'm basically this trash gremlin of a gamer type person <laughs> and but those aren't flaws <laughs> you haven't embezzled any money or killed anyone you know yeah, yeah. yeah but it's like Whereas if they found me oh my goodness <laughs> <laughs> go read his stories folks they are spicy thank you thank well there's more to come there's more to come i'm just taking a, a, a small break right now to focus on my th-d, which is phd pronounced um um but yeah i have like so many stories to write i I really want to write about gay beirut because the stories of my friends are just ridiculous like i have friends who if you put a camera like in their hair and just leave them to do their everyday lives it would be like a netflix special you know like it would be so such good television like these are transvestite sex workers who really like go to Dubai and Turkey and they do all kinds of things. Wow. It's just really, really funny. And, and they just have a completely different um, ethos than the average person. You know, we can get into that if you like, but like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to write about it one day. Gay uh, root. There's nothing quite like no. gay root. Oh my goodness. Uh, you know, yeah, I may be Arab and my passport may not take me everywhere, but I'm glad I get access to the Arab world, especially to Lebanon. Oh my goodness. I need, the to, food, go. The I need to go as an adult. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I'm going to visit so badly. Gay Beirut, from what we have learned through this podcast specifically, just sounds beautiful. It's really great. And, and people are... People are really becoming more accustomed to seeing gayness. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's also a trans superstar there. I I don't think you uh, maybe you've heard of her, uh, Haifa Magic. I don't think so. Haifa Magic. Oh, I, I should. She, yeah. she she had like her moment in the in the spotlight of, uh, about a year ago. She re- wow. she releases songs. The songs are in a Khaliji accent. Um, Interesting. Cool. Yes, yes, she's great and. Um, and she really like gives my trans friends some kind of inspiration, you know what I mean? Because she is openly trans, and there's also other nice. gay people. Um, it used to be more hostile a few years ago, but now it's very, very smooth. Like my friend Elisa, for example. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you guys will take this joke, but this is like this is like her kind of humor. Okay, it's not mine. Yeah. <laughs> so bring it. So Elisa had a note. So Elisa had a nose job, okay? She had a nose job. She's very happy with her nose, Yeah. okay? So one day we're cruising in the car, playing, like, beautifully slutty Arabic music. You know the kind I'm talking about. <laughs> <Yes>. uh, <laughs> the kind that's not like, uh, oh, you know, let's sleep together. No, the kind's like, I miss you so much, baby, you know? <laughs> you know? Uh, like, Haifa Wehbi and, like, the Egyptians and whatever. 
<laughs> so we're cruising and being very gay in the car and these these boys start chasing us on their motorbikes and like yelling obscenities and we're like oh my god oh my god oh my god and <laughs> we stop at a red light and the boys come to the car and they like knock on the window and they're like bitching and then elisa takes out the, the her keys from the car and lowers the window she's like look these are the house keys my sister's home alone just don't hurt don't hit the nose <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Oh, my and the, God. And the boys just laugh their ass off. And they're like, okay, okay, you can go. <laughs> that, is, that is terrible. That's terribly... It's, I mean, you know, it's not politically correct, but it, it is a survival mechanism. Humor, you know? Yeah, Humor. sometimes you gotta... Sometimes you gotta Oh my god. You should have you should have a podcast with Elisa some someday, but she won't do it unless it's paid. But that's another story. Oh, fair. Because she has, like... Yeah, yeah, maybe. But in Arabic, of course. Because, like, I'm a storyteller, yeah. but I'm nothing, nothing compared to Elisa uh, in Arabic. Someday. She just makes me laugh more than, like, she, she, she makes me laugh more than Bianca Del Rio, more than Dave Chappelle, more than anyone in English, really, can make me laugh is Elisa. She is just hilarious. She is just, ugh, oh. I'm paralyzed with laughter I'm with her. And I cry oh God, and I, I, and I have to... Her. And the next day I wake up with cramps, you know, and I record her <laughs> on my phone. Like, I have recordings of Elisa on my phone, and I take them like pills because I'm here in this other country far, far, far away. Yeah. And, like, you know, they keep me going, really. And, um, that yeah, like, that she's, she's like really a good prescription. It really, really is. Like, oh my goodness. Aww, oh I hope my to goodness. talk to her someday. That would be really fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going. I'm going to ask you a favor here. Get to work on that gay root book, please. Pretty please. I really, really want to. I really, really want to. I have so many ideas. I, you have no idea. Like I'm assaulted with all these ideas and how to write them out and even and and the, you know and there's a comic book I want to also work on and I also want to work on a YouTube series. Ooh. Like I'm very ambitious about getting my voice out there, but like to, for me to sit down and write about gay root requires me to like be free from other projects and yeah. um, I'm also working on a children's book um, oh, yes. I'm just cool. thank you um, okay so I'm gonna say you know finish your PhD and maybe put the Gabriel book as a high priority later on I really, really want to, but I'm working on a novel right now. I finished the novel. I'm looking for representation. Yeah, it's an LGBT romance novel between a gay guy and a straight guy. And um, yeah, I'm looking for representation for that. Do you want to hear the, the blurb? Yes. Go for it. Okay. So, a uh, gay guy is obsessed with a straight guy, okay? Leaves him a note that says, you know, I adore you, and it leaves his number. Straight guy doesn't know who this person is. Um, he goes to a party, sees his best friend out with his crush, gets angry, gets drunk, finds the note again, texts the number to meet up. Uh, they meet. They meet up. Straight guy is shocked to find the gay guy, and he pushes him away. He pushes him away, and a car crashes into the gay guy. Then in the hospital, uh, the gay guy wakes up to find these lawyers, and they're like, okay, well, you should press charges against this guy. He's an Iraqi immigrant, so you can get him deported. Oh, and the gay guy's like, no, this will not really change him. I'd rather, like, you know, still kind of have a chance with him. So they come up with this contract wherein the Iraqi has to go to this gay guy's house twice a month 
for a year for like reconciliation. And so when the Iraqi, Iraqi has to accept because like he, he doesn't want to shame his family by going to jail. And so when he gets to the house the first time, the gay guy gets on all fours and he's like, I want to be your submissive. I want to be your slave. Please, uh, please command me. Let me serve you. And so the Iraqis, of course, cautious and panicked, like, what, what the hell's going on? Yeah. And the gay guy kind of shows him what he means. He gives him, like, um, a shoe shine, a foot massage. He get, makes a shisha pipe for him. Mm-hmm. And he also starts painting him because he's a, he's a painting prodigy. He's a, he's oh, a painter. Wow. Yeah. He paints him as this king. Like, he takes these, like, you know, pedestrian photographs of him, and he makes him into this king. The, 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 the straight guy's, like, very flattered. He's like, oh, wow, you really like me that much you know so they kind of explore domination and they explore the boundaries of what being straight is and uh, while this is going on uh, the Iraqi starts getting scared because what if somebody sees the paintings it'll be very embarrassing for him so he, he tells the gay guy to trash the paintings the gay guy instead sells them to pay rent as one would uh, he gets attention from an international art dealer who wants him to have a gallery of these paintings. Whoa. And so the gay guy, yeah, so as a straight guy kind of struggles with what it means to be straight in the context of domination, of dominating a gay guy, the gay guy has to struggle with, okay, do I, do I like betray the trust of the man I really adore? Or do I seize this opportunity of, of a lifetime of being like a gal- in a gallery for this internationally claimed guy? So that's what the book is about. Oh, wow. So many layers. I can't wait to read it. It Someone it's needs to represent. I feel like there's parts of the, the short story you wrote on everyday fiction in this blurb already. Yes. Well, yes, exactly. Um, I'm not ashamed to say it. I've had submissive feelings towards straight men. Not all straight men, but like certain straight men who sure, have a yeah. quality. And, and yeah, I mean, I'm, with, with gay men, I'm actually the dominant one. Um, but with straight oh, men, I don't yeah. know what it is about them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's, good. It's their yeah. forbidden fruit. It's like they can never exactly. be with you. Like, I kind of analyze it. I'm like, why do I like them this much? Is it because they're forbidden? Is it like, what is it exactly about them? And I realize that I think of straight men the way straight men think of, like, the blonde bimbo, you know? They're stupid. Oh, they're stupid. Yeah. They're very hot. I don't have a shot in hell with them. But they don't know what the hell they're missing, you know? And I will treat them better than anybody has ever treated them, you know? On that note, I'm also involved in the in the Findom world, if you know what that is. And financial yes. domination, we are. Yes. yes, I'm involved in that. And it's a whole other podcast because there's a buddy of mine involved and he's like a bipolar guy and you know i'm writing a series of it about it on medium called um, catfish confessions because i'm a catfish when it comes to those things uh, ooh, <laughs> and, and for those of you let me just explain this since this is probably a more obscure fetish financial domination sure. is when you give somebody when the submissive gives someone else control of their finances and the person who is dominating can make demands for payments they can do blackmail scenarios they can require like money for photos or moments of intimacy it's it's a wide variety of stuff but basically transactional it is transactional but i will say that i've also had feelings of financial submission towards some men who never ask for money from me it's it's the submissive wants the dominant to like them Mm -hmm. 
And there's also a, an element of like, oh, I'm being literally drained to make you more powerful. You know, like you're growing sure, before yeah. me. There's also an element. I don't, I mean, you know, it's a questionable, it's the questionable fetish because there's a lot of internalized homophobia involved in that fetish. But I make sure to be nice, you know, like I never tell people um, you're inferior because you're gay or, you know, cut yourself, you know, or things like that. Because there's some doms who are really, really terrible, terrible people. And there's also some submissives who are who who legit think that being gay is it makes them inferior and makes them um, their place in nature is to serve the straight man, which I think is ridiculous because I, I you know I don't think we're inferior in any way to straight men. I think on average we're more intelligent <laughs> and more interesting than yeah. they'll ever be. I mean the most inconsequential the most inconsequential thing on the planet right now is a straight white male because they will change nothing. Like they're just like when I see like a band made up of four straight white males, I'm like, what can you do that has mm-hmm. not been done before? Mm-hmm. What will you say that will not be said before? Like all of history was basically written by you, so yeah. I don't really care what you have to say. I've heard it before. Like you, you have know? nothing left to give. You have You're nothing left except to dominate. Experiment. Yeah. Except. Experiment. I want more straight men to experiment. I really want them to because I think this is why I wrote the book to to show straight men that there's nothing to be afraid of. You know what I mean? It all happens at your pace. There's no like, it, it's not inconsensual, unconsensual. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. um, if more straight men experiment, I think the world would be a much better place because people won't feel like they have to adhere to this strict code of of like archaic masculinity. You know what I mean? And which which also you know, which Putin basically is the is the saint of, um, oh which yeah. says that okay, you know, uh, you, you know, tough decisions, power is righteousness, um, yeah. no to ki- no kindness, no 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 sharing, no blah blah. blah you know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. like I am man, I will conquer, I will breed. You're that so right. It. He is the you epitome know? of that. He is the so epitome true. of that, and we have, yeah. uh, but we have. But, you know, you have supporters of that in the States for sure. And to yeah. be honest, to be perfectly honest, I, I find that kind of hot. Like, I'm, I, <laughs> I masturbate begrudging. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah. I find it kind of hot, but I, I'd like it to be strictly in the porn section of some website, See, not in politics yeah. or in pizza porn. I think there's something powerful about fetishizing, like... For example, Putin, like finding a way to fetishize him in a way that like fits or works for you. I just feel like you're you're taking some of the power by doing that. Yes. And just to be clear, just to be clear, Kisatofi does not masturbate to Putin. No, I (laughs) masturbate to other Russian bodybuilders, but not to Putin. Because Russian Russian bodybuilders are just the best. They're just the best. (laughs) Oh my god. How do you feel about that that accent though? Oh, I love it. I think Russian is the most don't give a fuck accent of them all, you know? <laughs> yeah, when they I speak, agree. I feel like such a I feel like such a commodity if they talk about me, you know, blue the bleed, the bleed, the senior, the bleed, the bleed. I'm like, oh my goodness. Oh, you know, it electrifies me. I think I think it's super hot. <laughs> Can I tell a really bad story about this? <laughs> I don't think it's 
super hot, yeah. Oh, so story time. So when I was in college doing work study, I had this guy um, who I was working under. He was this uh, Russian. He was this uh, Russian international student, and he was he was an asshole, but he had this accent where he's just like, "Oh, go get me this, th- go get me this thing," and it's like it was always disdainful. And I was just like, "Oh my god, that's so hot! I hate, I hate you." <laughs> And you are an awful person, but but you know, I will I will do anything to hear you ask me to do shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we all have our dark sides, don't we? I mean, when we when we when we're like civilized and in public, we're all very decent citizens. But in our own mm-hmm. bedrooms, there's all kinds of things that turn us on. We know women and men. People think that's only gay men who have these like crazy fetishes, but I'm sure straight women and. Queer women also have like these bizarre fetishes. Yeah, I, I saw a documentary, yeah. yeah, I saw a documentary about this uh, German lady who is legit in love with an airplane. <laughs> oh that my is god! Not even Wait, the weirdest I... thing I've heard today. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. That's more. I mean... That's even wilder than the person in love with. Or I don't know if it's in love actually. Who fetishizes balloons? Maybe that's not a wow. love. I don't think it's a matter of love. I think it's just a purely sexual desire for balloons. Um, <laughs> being in love with an airplane, that's like definitely, that's a, that's new. That's really interesting. Like, yeah, like this, this chick just, she just like gets appointments at the airport to go see the airplane. And she has this model airplane that she really, really loves. And she goes and checks it every like four months because it's not always docked in, you know, nearby. Aww. And she goes and she starts tearing up and she she like goes into the airplane and and fills it up and she starts speaking in German, you know, to it, you know, oh, I love you so much and I miss you and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Okay, I kind of love that. That's really sweet in a way. It is sweet. I mean, she's not hurting anyone, so I don't mind, you know. Aw, I hope one can only hope. I hope hope it works out for her. I do too, and one can only hope there's some way that the plane feels this (laughs) and, like, feels appreciated. Yes. That's all I can ask uh, hope for here. The plane's like, but the plane's the quiet, yeah, the plane's like the strong, quiet type, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, I feel like this is just basically the reverse of the guy fetishizing the car and loving his car and polishing it every day. There we go. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean maybe she, like, goes yeah. on, like... A car, for, like on a German, uh, like on a German car forum, and start sings the praises of precision German engineering. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I want to see this woman's internet history now. Yes. Well, the interview is, I think, on Barcroft TV on YouTube. Barcroft TV. B A R. C R O F T. Well, this this interview went to a very strange and fun place. I, I love it. <laughs> Well, we can't we can't be all gloom and doom in politics all the time. We have to have fun. I mean, of otherwise, course, what's the point? Of course. And oh well, let me tell you how we can bridge those two things. Um, so yes, we do have warlords in Lebanon, and they do hire mercenaries, but most of their base is like sincere in their loyalty to them. And I think it's a I think it's a fetish thing. I think they fetishize how strong the warlord is and how apathetic they are to their needs, like some. It's it's like it's like basically being a masochist. Oh, you know, like I really want to be abused by my warlord, and you know, 
I want to be under his slipper and I, I want him to like keep draining me and, and just I want to watch him grow more powerful as I have nothing. I'm sure this kind of mentality and fetish is ingrained somewhere in the ranks of, of, of the minds of uh, of the most ardent followers of, of the warlords, you know? Yeah. Just, oh, please whip me more. Please abuse me more. Here's a new, new sentence for everyone. Oh, yes, step on me, Daddy Nasrallah. <laughs> oh, you know, he's really popular with the gays. Oh, yeah, that, that wasn't really a coincidence. Is, yeah, like... Yeah, so that sentence shot. is probably a thing. <laughs> and maybe, yeah, I mean, it, yeah. All right, um, seems like a good point to close on this. I love it. Maybe. We have a, a dash of revolution, a dash of airplane love. What more can you ask for? What more could you ask for, indeed? Well, let me ask you a question first. This is going from my motto. As women, do you like to be classy? I love um, to be classy. I think. Uh, no, I'm I'm complete trash. I'm, I'm well, going to own up to that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's classy to well, be Well, honey, somebody has to be trash so somebody can be classy. If we were all classy, there would be no more class. But can there be classy trash? Because I fully recycling. I fully identify. I think as that's trash. called Trump. That is called Trump. Ew. Trump Ugh. is based on classy trash. Wait, in that case, I am not at all any of that. Okay, well, okay. fuck you, Trump. We hate you. You've ruined another thing. No, yeah, yeah. Oh well. <laughs> Uh, thank you. How can people follow you and or get in contact with you? How so I'm on. So I'm on Twitter at classy boom boom. Yeah, you are. And also on Facebook.com/scandalousarab. I love that. I saw. I noticed. And that. I'm also on media. Intisartufi uh, at its it. Okay. You know, and I also the... have uh, Gmail if anybody would like to reach out to me there. Just intisar.tufi at gmail.com. Okay. Now I feel like a little silly just being with the queerarabs.com and the queer Arabs on Facebook and the queer Arabs on Twitter. I know. And Where was our creativity? Like... Creativity. <laughs> we sold it for the search engine optimization. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> we sold out. But. Before oh, well. we even started. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's fashionable. It, it's yeah, it's fashionable to be uniform apparently on social media, but as uh, the woman, I like to be monetized. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> we should do this again. I'm having okay. fun. I'm I would down. love that. Can we do like a volume two? We certainly could. As many volumes as the dial allows. I'm I'm ready, I'm ready for multiple volumes. Um, thank My you body. again. I am so happy we got to connect. I can't wait Me to have more too. conversations. This was delightful. And thank you. You are definitely the first person we've ever talked to about both a revolution and fetishes in one conversation. Well, that's what I am. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm about. Bringing things together. Yeah, you bring it all in one. Yeah, into one space. Love it. Um, so thank you all very much for listening. You can follow us at the Queer Arabs on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and reach out to us at the Queer Arabs at gmail.com. Our website is 
You guessed it, thequeerarabs.com.